Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning, Mike. How are you today? Sherry, I'm doing really good. Uh, It's a beautiful day out here in Florida. And today we have a very special guest. His name is Aaron Hale. Aaron is a entrepreneur, an avid runner, and a combat-wounded EOD veteran. Uh, Aaron, welcome to Behind the Warrior podcast. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be invited. And uh, great to talk to you both again. Yeah, we we really are excited to have you on, Aaron. Uh, We've been wanting to speak with you for a while. And uh, I've known you for a long time, and I find you to be such an inspirational person um, who who I just admire so much. So it's really great to have you on today. So before we get into a lot of the questions, I'd like to just uh, ask you, um, could you share with us where did you grow up and why did you choose the military? Well, I'm originally from Akron, Ohio, and uh, <laughs> I absolutely knew my entire life, all the way up until about a month before enlisting, that I'd never be in the military. Uh, <laughs> I just It just wasn't like my path. And to say, frankly, it was, I, I didn't really have a path. I didn't have ambition. I didn't have any goals. I didn't know what I was going to do when I, uh, I grew up. I didn't even know what I was going to do when I got to college. So um, I was um, either blessed or handicapped with just enough natural ability not to have to really work that hard to cruise by. It wasn't like I was exceptional in anything. I was just good enough in most things. And, And when I got to college and I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't really care much, um, all those people, all the students that were actually working hard flew right past me. So uh, I got, I got terrible grades and uh, eventually I got, I got, I got the boot. And uh, that was one of those, those kick in the pants that, you know, those, those pivot moments in life where I was so embarrassed that I got, I got, you know, kicked out of school for terrible grades. It was, I had to, you know, go back home with my tail between my legs and uh, try to figure out what I was going to do. So I realized I needed, I needed goals. I needed some discipline. I needed some, some values. And, uh, I, and I, I needed tuition since I, you know, wasted so much of it the first time. And, you know, the, I realized the military had all of those and they were willing to pay me to give them to me. Uh, so I decided I was going to join uh, the service. Well, you uh, originally enlisted in the Navy, and you were a cook, and you were quite a good cook, too. Um, why did you choose the Navy, and why did you get into cooking, and was that where your love of cooking first started? Uh, no, 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 no. I'd actually, my, my family has a very creative spark, a gene, so to speak, uh, just 
my my brother, my sister, very artistic, very terrific uh, sketch and paint artists, the visual arts. I my my creative spark kind of led me into the kitchen. And I was cooking since I could reach over the counter, and I just loved experimenting with flavors and foods and. Uh, God bless my mom for keeping a smile on her face every time I handed her something to try. <laughs> she was very encouraging, though um, those those early years were were uh, almost detrimental to her health. Uh, but that's uh, I, I always loved cooking, and when I came down to deciding which branch I was going to go into. Remember, I'd never even considered this uh, up until a couple of weeks prior, but I just, you know, all I knew was the recruiter, you know, you know, commercials on television. I knew that you could see the world, let the adventure begin. And I could, I could travel while being trained as a cook in the Navy. And, I could get that tuition assistance and, and the uh, GI Bill, and I can go to culinary school after four years in the Navy. And that sounded like a great idea. So you you served in the Navy for a while, and then at some point you decided to cross services and join the Army where you became an explosive ordnance disposal technician, uh, EOD tech. Why did you join the army, and why did you choose EOD? <laughs> yeah, I know it's a it's a wild transition from Navy cook to Army bomb squad. Uh, I tell people I, I decided after getting my first confirmed kill with an egg roll, I decided I wanted <laughs> to start saving lives and stuff. But uh, the truth is, uh, I I was I was loving. The Navy. I was learning that discipline. I was learning uh, to to I gained a new appreciation for a sense of duty, selfless service, to work towards a common goal, something bigger than myself. And I was taking so much pride in this this newfound me. And it was about two thousand four, two thousand five. I'd. Uh, I worked my way up in the Navy to become a petty officer, second class, and culinary specialist. In uh, and I was I was cooking for the commander of the Sixth Fleet, a three-star admiral out in Cayenne, Italy. And it was an amazing time. I mean, I was I was becoming an Italian half the time, hanging on my uniform and going experiencing all of Europe. It was incredible. But at, around that time, uh, both wars were in full swing. We were out to sea quite a bit, and I felt that even though it was a part of the military and I was, I was proud of my service, I felt a calling to, to do something a little more, a little direct, a little more in the business, so to speak, of war. And I was, I was just I was watching it on, on CNN, even though I was on board a ship in the middle of the Mediterranean. And I wanted a bigger part. Uh, I wanted to be closer to it. So I, uh, I, uh, accepted a, a uh, deployment package where I, I volunteered to become an individual augmentee. And soon thereafter, I was running an army chow hall in the middle of a fob in, in Afghanistan, in the desert of Afghanistan. 
And it was a, one another incredible transition from cooking for the admiral and his top brass to hundreds of NATO troops in the middle of Afghanistan. Ironically enough, there were a couple of platoons of Italian special forces right on the base. So I got to practice some of the lingo I learned uh, uh, in Italy in the middle of Afghanistan. But while I was there, that's when I met some EOD techs. And they had their, their armored truck, the Jerv, uh, parked outside the barracks in, their, in the parking lot. And they had, they were doing uh, maintenance checks on all their equipment, bomb suits and robots and all the power tools and all the stuff they had dumped out of their truck. And they were doing cleaning and all that. And it was like a cool guy yard sale. So I went over there, started talking to these guys, and found out all about EOD. How is a Titan Brotherhood, this you know, technically challenging knowledge based type of job, and you get to save lives on the battlefield? I mean, I could become a first responder and help uh, you know bring back some of our troops uh, and keep them from harm. And then everything about that just clicked for me, and I knew. That's what I needed to do. Uh, what year did you become a EOD tech? I'm sorry? Uh, in what year, what, what year was that that you um, became an EOD tech in the Army? Well, I put in my, my request uh, within the Navy to become a Navy EOD tech, but at that time, uh, one EOD wasn't a rate. It wasn't a job itself, mm-hmm. and it was a qualification and you had to come from a source rate. And I guess they weren't taking cooks at the time. Uh, in fact, right after I put in the request, they changed the whole thing and uh, EOD became its own job, like a, you know, its own um, uh, MOS, its own rate. And I could have uh, done the transition, but I was also, culinary specialist was also undermanned in my rank and overmanned in the next rank up. So not only did they not want me to go EOD, but they weren't going to promote me anytime soon. So that's why as soon as I got back off uh, deployment, uh, I let my, my contract expire and I went over to the Army recruiter. Aaron, in 2011, your life changed drastically when you suffered serious injuries as a result of an IED explosion while you were deployed in Afghanistan. Can you share about the incident and the extent of your injuries? Absolutely. So uh, in um, about uh, 2007, 2008, I, I, I graduated EOD school, I went to Fort Drum uh, and quickly deployed to Iraq. And then in 2011, I deployed to Afghanistan. And by this time, I was an EOD team leader. Uh, I've been, uh, our, our company had been deployed there for about uh, eight months. And I was just off of a two-week R&R back home where I got to see my son turn one. I got to witness the whole family gathering for Thanksgiving and had a nice little reunion. It was it was a great last entry into the you know the, the photo album. And then I uh, had my team pick me up from the airbase, and we were on our way back out to our area of operation. While on the way, 
the convoy commander called back and said there was an item in the in the road and they they wanted EOD to check it out and it turned out it was an IED uh, so we I tossed the suitcase off of the robot tossed the robot out of the truck and got to work and it found a pressure plate and a jug full of homemade explosive just like you know everything else we've been finding out there so uh you know, we formed the operations and um, I went to, I jumped out to start collecting evidence and dispose of the, the bulk explosive at about 20 or 30 meters from the original IED. There was another uh, IED, a secondary device that hadn't yet been detected. Well, it found me first mm-hmm. and uh, the blast punted me into the air and it landed my knees and elbows and the lights went out. And, and I originally thought that my, my helmet had gotten pushed over my face, and that's why I couldn't see. And as it turns out, uh, that wasn't the case. But first, it was, you know, wiggle the fingers and toes and do the functions check, all of the systems check, and move some knees and elbows and seemed like I was, I was intact. And I didn't realize uh, what had happened. So I reached up and grabbed for my helmet to adjust it just to find that it was gone. That's when I thought, oh, no, this is really bad. The Army's going to want that helmet back. <laughs> so uh, it's funny what goes through your head at certain times. But uh, uh, I, uh, I knew something was bad and something was wrong. So what happened was uh, the, the blast had literally only hit me in the head. I mean, the perfect place for, you know, me, and we've got real us hail, so we've got thick skulls. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it virtually left me untouched from my neck down, um, which is incredible. I don't know how that happened, but um, a medevac chopper uh, came within 14 minutes. Remember, I was just minutes away from the airfield um, and picked me up, went to Kandahar, then on to Landstuhl, and then... Um, Walter Reed, within 48 hours, I was back back home and found out that the blast had uh, completely destroyed one eye and even fused the eyelids together. So I was permanently winking. Um, a, a piece of frag had gashed across the bridge of my, my nose and then gashed uh, the other eye just enough that it couldn't be saved. I've uh, blown out both my eardrums and it cracked my skull uh, in a couple of places where I was actually leaking spinal fluid right out of my nose. Anyway, there's uh, some blast and frag damage to my face, but uh, that was the extent of it. Um, and then, you know, I said, another hospital bed and Walter Reed, now a blind man. Uh, Aaron, you spent many months at Walter Reed Army Medical Hospital, and then you went to a rehabilitation facility for the blind in Georgia. Um, what was it like there in Georgia? What did you learn as as starting to live as as a blind person? What what things did you learn there? Uh- well, like I said, the the, the damage was uh, confined to my head and face, so there wasn't a whole lot that they could do at Walter Reed. They couldn't save my eyes, and besides just patching some some, some burns and whatnot and fixing the skull the best they could, 
they sent me off to blind rehabilitation school. Uh, blind, uh, the, there are 14 blind rehabilitation units within the VA system around the country. I went to the VA hospital in Augusta, Georgia. And there they teach you all the skills and techniques and give you all these accessibility tools to uh, best become, you know, best learn how to be a blind person. So they, they teach you manual skills, life, uh, uh, what do they go, the uh, daily living skills. And, of course, orientation and mobility is uh, learning how to use the cane, which is usually is the longest, uh, you know, longest to learn. And in between all of these classes, I would still have to undergo surgery here or there. But uh, types of, they even have uh, like a uh, kitchen um, lab in there. So you can, like, like living skills type stuff. So you can learn how to use the barcode scanner on boxes and, um, and cans. And the scanner will read the uh, labels for you. Or just figuring out how to use a stovetop, little tricks like using a wooden handle to make sure your pot is lined up on the um, uh, on the eyelid of the the stove, and um, you know it's just everything. And it gets as technical as uh, using computer skills and um, and the, the the computers like other like the iPhone with a voiceover and screen readers. So it was very handy. They even they even have a wood shop in there, and that blew my mind. Uh, what me to do what with the table saw? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it so happens that um, when you you know like anything else, you can learn how to do it safely, and you can learn how to do it safely without looking. Wow. Wow. Well, I um, I'm glad you're here, Aaron. We both are. And um, I'm glad that in 2015, um, that was another year for new beginnings um, with with your love, Michaela. Um, but it, it certainly didn't go without complications that led you to being hospitalized for a serious bacterial um, meningitis um, that caused you to lose your hearing. Um, what was your prognosis at that time? What what did the doctors initially um, give you as far as a prognosis was concerned? Well, uh, between the bomb blast and the meningitis, I'd, I'd, I'd gone beyond just trying to figure out how to get around the kitchen, whereas I was, I was climbing mountains, I was whitewater kayaking, mm-hmm. uh, I, was, I was tandem cycling uh, and, and running marathons. I, I, was, I was making the best of it. Uh, and and I began began speaking around the country and and just sharing my perspective on life and how I I managed to to get by not despite my my injuries and my my struggles but because of them. Um, however, yes, in 2015 I was kind of knocked to the mat again with bacterial meningitis. It seems the 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 cracks in my skull hadn't either hadn't been completely patched or reopened and that that path out from the brain directly to the open air there's also a pathway in and bacterial meningitis crept in there and uh nearly killed me uh they, they had to use heavy doses of antibiotics i was in the hospital for weeks and i was in and out of, of lucidity 
Um, uh, but thankfully, at the time, I just had this, just before uh, going into the hospital, just before getting sick, I had this terrific one-week-long first date <laughs> with a, a childhood friend, um, Michaela. Actually, her or our, our mothers are childhood friends, so we've known each other a very long time. She was living in Sacramento. I was, I was down here in the Panhandle near the schoolhouse, and... Um, I, we struck up a conversation. I think, uh, I made some, uh, flippant remark on Facebook about how much trouble I was having on Tinder. And, um, uh, and she commented that it turned into some texts and then phone calls. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was really like a, uh, like, you know, being in high school again, we were talking all the time and uh, I convinced her to come out. We had a great time. And then she went back to Sacramento after the week long vacation date. And I went on another speaking engagement, came back a couple of days later and boom, I was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what had happened to me for like four days after that. Oh, but wow. when I came, when I came to, there she was right by my side. She turned right back around, flown right back out here from California, and she started nursing me back to health. My mom and my sister came out too, but they had lives that they had to return to after a while. Michaela never uh, went back to California. She moved in. She's been here ever since. She's been my, my angel. She's been amazing. I mean, I was totally blind at the time, and the meningitis or the, the antibiotics or whatever, had also stolen um, what was left of my hearing, leaving me totally deaf as well. So I was trapped in my body. I mean, my entire world ended at my fingertips. And it was, it was a very lonely, it was a isolating time, very frustrating. And uh, I, was, I was going through a really, really dark, <laughs> no pun intended, dark time. Um, but... Uh, there she was there, and she was helping me through it. She was helping administer my antibiotics. She was helping with the groceries and the bills, and she was just amazing. And in fact, because I couldn't hear or see, or there was no way anybody could get a good message into me, so she began writing every letter of every word into the palm of my hand to get a message to me. And though that was tedious and frustrating all on its own, it was, it was the most caring thing. Mm. And, um, I mean, <laughs> I would have been, been an idiot not to marry this woman. <laughs> well, she's definitely special. Absolutely. Yeah. She is. Well, Aaron, today we are actually doing our interview with you via Zoom, and it wouldn't be possible without the remarkable work that the doctors did for you in Alabama and introducing cochlear implants. Um, While I'm sure that you still have challenges, uh, your hearing has definitely improved. Is that correct? Well, I wouldn't say my hearing is improved because mm-hmm. I am still uh, technically, I'm totally like deaf. My ears are turned off. But yes, the cochlear implant has restored 
it's, it's a different way of hearing. So it bypasses the, the ear altogether. It goes, um, it's, it's not a hearing aid. It doesn't amplify uh, sound. What it does is it collects the sound with microphones and then it sends it digitally uh, through this uh, tether that's magnetized and it sticks right to my head. And it goes, there's a, an electrode that goes right onto the auditory nerve and it sends that signal. So my brain had to learn an entirely new input that it, you know, deciphers as sound. Mm-hmm. But it's much like, you know, say you call a friend and they're at a restaurant and they turn the phone on the speaker and put it in the middle of the table. And then that's what you're hearing. It's all kind of a wall of sound. And if there's any uh, interference um, from like servers and clinking of plates and glasses, that's that affects it. It's a it's frustrating. It's, it's it's tough, but whoa, is it way better than the alternative? Sure. And I would imagine that it has certainly um, given you better, improved communication with your wife and your children. Oh, uh, better communications than writing in the palm of my hand? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it took, uh, it took over six months of being, uh, being deaf to wait for the, the, the virus to, or the bacteria to, the, the infection to clear. And then I got the surgery on my right ear, which was more damaged and the implant just didn't take. It, it, the, the signal wasn't powerful enough. They tuned it so high, maxed out that electrode signal, that these, even though I couldn't understand what was going on or here, I was getting, uh, if there, somebody had, like clapped or slammed a door, I would, my face would twitch. <laughs> so there was plenty of power gone, but now I wasn't here and, it, and the signal wasn't getting through. So then they did the surgery and tuned in and it was, it was over six months before I could understand another human voice. And, uh, that was a very, uh, tough, uh, half a year. Mm-hmm. So I did what, uh, anybody would in my situation, I started a chocolate company. <laughs> Aaron, we're we're going to uh, talk about the chocolate company in a little bit, but uh, one of the things that I find fascinating is uh, your running, and you know you are a very determined person, and you've taken all these amazing qualities that you have, and your zest for life, and your humor, and everything, and and now you're running, and uh, can you explain? how you run with a partner and what is your running schedule like now? And we also understand you're doing a virtual marathon around the world. Could you talk about that? Well, uh, like I mentioned before, physical fitness has always been um, a very big part of my life. Since joining the military was another, another one of those uh, attributes I, I gleaned from or learned from uh, being in the service is that we've got to take care of our bodies. And we've got to, the, the better you take care of your body, uh, the better you are, you know, better prepared you are for the battle ahead, whatever that may be. So uh, while I was, I started running uh, originally just uh, one, just to find a way to get off my button out of being stuck inside the house. 
Um, it was also a way to train for mountain climbing, which I discovered was it was a uh, you know so much fun and a great way to get outside. But it's hard to find a decent mountain to climb in Florida. So uh, I, I began running, and uh, before I, was, I got my hands on a treadmill and started putting together the you know the, the garage gym. I started looking for guides, you know, running guides. And I still, this is still my preferred way of running. And, and what you do is a blind runner will run with a tether. Uh, it just, it, it could be anything, a t-shirt, uh, a, uh, I've got a piece of like nylon webbing with loops on either end and with just a couple fingers in there. And the other, um, uh, my guide will, you know, hold on to the other end and I'll just, run side by side, shoulder to shoulder with a sighted guide. And I get all my cues from where uh, the tether is going. And, and it works great. Other, other than that, my guide, you know, now I can just talk normally. And, and it's, you know, incumbent on, you know, upon my, my you know, guide to tell me whether we're about to, to you know, come across a curb, a speed bump, or an open manhole cover. But otherwise, I get everything just from where the tether goes. So I went, I'd actually signed up uh, for, when I began running, I signed up for four marathons in four months. And this was before I'd ever run a 5K. And then I figured uh, this is just a challenge and I had to better get ready for it. And when uh, this was before, after going blind, before going deaf, and once I recovered from going deaf, I decided, you know what, I'm not going to let this defeat me. I'm going to go bigger. And I, I started seeking out ultra marathons, and I found uh, a 12-hour race in Georgia, and I, I, I ran a little, just a shy over 50 miles in those 12, 12 hours. And then I started seeking out even longer stuff. So just this past last year, July, I ran my first hundred miler back home in my hometown of Akron, Ohio. And in the, and during that same time, I found virtual races that I could run on my treadmill. And I ran, uh, I found it was called the great virtual race across Tennessee. It's a thousand kilometer race in four months. But I saw that they, they, there was a down and back option. If I could get 2,000 kilometers done in four months, I could get a, I don't know, a different buckle or something. But it was always about reaching for the, the toughest challenge, the bigger challenge. I always uh, pressing myself to do and be better. And uh, now I'm currently running. It's uh, set up by the same guy. Uh-huh, and it's a circumpolar race around the world. It's a team race, and it goes starts at uh, um, virtually the the U.S. and Mexican border, and you run straight south all the way to the tip of South America, hop over to Antarctica, run across that, back up Australia, and then you know all the way around over north, the North Pole, back down uh, the United States. And you have one year uh, that your your team of ten has one year to uh, accomplish it to get the gold medal. 
And that means each one of us has to do an average of eight and a half miles every single day. Wow. The way you challenge yourself is, is, is just amazing. When, when you're not uh, running around the world or back and forth across the state of Tennessee, um, what is a typical day like for you? What's, 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 a, what's an average day for you? What do you do throughout the day? Well, it's, 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 it is, it's certainly a challenge in itself to balance uh, you know, the, the, the many hours of running with running a business. And we work from home with, not to mention, we're also raising three boys, including two identical uh, uh, twin toddlers that are 21 months old. They're a handful. They're a full-time job all themselves. Uh, but, uh, my typical day starts around four thirty. I get up, I get, uh, you know, um, drink a little water, brush my teeth and jump into, you know, and lace up for the treadmill by about, uh, 5.30 to six o'clock. I see, uh, our oldest off to school and get the, the twins ready for daycare. And then it's uh, you know, uh, a few hours of work, whether it's writing blog entry or trying to uh, you know, create uh, content for our, our social media uh, or, or various other things. I'm sure that every day is a busy day. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what's, uh, uh, what's fun is, um, you know, you think... Uh, Diffusing bombs is scary. You try doing a poopy diaper without looking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you mentioned in our pre-call about the importance of paying attention to your family and understanding um, the need to share and work through challenges together. So how did you come to that philosophy and... and, um, why is that important to you? Well, helping others, sharing my story, possibly teaching, inspiring, motivating others, and, and most certainly uh, trying to help many others in similar situations get through their quote-unquote dark times Um uh, not only is good for them, but it's fulfilling for me. In fact, it helps by taking uh, my story and turning it into something positive uh, and helpful. I keep my mind off of uh, those 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 dark, you know, like the demons, so to speak, the what ifs, the why me's, um, the negative aspect of it. If I can use it for some good, some positive change, and to add value into my world, then I become my life becomes richer. And and the life of your family. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, I uh, I also uh, I also hope that. Uh, my my sons, when they grow older, they can they can point to their father and say, "That's my dad." That uh, 
no matter what, he can still do anything. Mm-hmm. And he'll never quit. Mm-hmm. Aaron, um, speaking of your family, you all share a passion for cooking. Uh, you and your wife, Michaela, started a fudge company together after getting rave reviews of your fudge from your friends and family. Uh, could you tell us what inspired you and Michaela with this idea of forming Extraordinary Delights, EOD Fudge Company? Well, it kind of happened by, by accident, really. Uh, while I was going through the process of um, the, the healing and the surgeries to uh, get the cochlear implant, and while I was still in... Um, the darkness and the silence and I was feeling pretty low and the, I fell back on one of my earliest passions was cooking. And I found that even though I couldn't see what I was cooking, I couldn't hear the sizzle or the bubble on the stovetop. I still knew what I was doing and I could still do it well. And Thanksgiving was coming up and it's always a special time. And it's, you know, my, one of my, or if not my favorite time of the year, um, for one, it's a, it's a reason to bring family together, friends together. And also too, it's, it's an excuse to just eat like a glutton, uh, and, uh, both I love, uh, cause I'm love food. Um, so we decided we were going to throw this to the feast. It was another one of those ways where I could take the focus off of me and I can focus on sharing this wonderful experience with everybody else. So we invited friends, we invited family, we invited, uh, what we love to do is invite a few stranded EOD uh, students um, from the schoolhouse over to, to, to join us at our table. And I started, I started cooking weeks in advance. I was. I started with uh, the the cakes and the pies and the cookies. I started making you know, batch after batch of fudge. I was throwing nuts and spices and, and taking bottles out of the liquor cabinet. And um, I found that uh, and, and one after the other. I was just, it was. I was having a good time. And Michaela said she noticed two things um, as I was doing this. One, uh, she saw a smile on my face she had seen in six months and two the fudge was just piling up <laughs> so <laughs> um she started sneaking it out the front door uh, i say sneaking like gotta be real stealthy around a blind deaf guy but um she was giving it away she was giving it to friends neighbors uh, and people started coming back and saying this is this is great fudge um we have a, a birthday or a shower coming up can we uh, buying some of this from you and the capitalist in me said well of course you may and that's kind of just how it got started um you guys are actually eod uh, fudge company has has grown and uh, you had you had made some changes recently how are you um doing your fudge production today 
Well, it certainly has grown. Um, before we knew it, we had purchased a shrink wrap machine for our garage right next to the treadmill, and we're trying to figure out how to order thousands of boxes. And we were cooking. Uh, I was cooking on, you know, in front of the stove for hours and hours. I mean, you long days. And Michaela was, like, packing the boxes and shipping them off and taking orders and pretty much everything except the cooking part. <laughs> and uh, before we knew it, it was, it was too big for us. So we, uh, we found a, a large kitchen to uh, just begin production, and now um, uh, all of the has moved out of our house, and uh, the the Hale House is now just the R and D lab and the TikTok studio. Mm-hmm. So, Aaron, if uh, you wanted to order some fudge off of EOD um, Fudge Company, where do you go to to order your fudge? Oh, well, if anybody wants to order some of our delicious treats, they can go to eodfudge.com. And um, please follow us on all the social media platforms, EOD Confections. Thank you, Aaron. Aaron, your sense of humor always shines through, even in the darkest times. Let's talk about your TikTok series called Cooking Without Looking." Well, that's, uh, that was another one of those things. It was uh, almost, it's almost been a year, maybe 10 months or so. And the, I think it was Memorial Day last year when Michaela just put a camera in front of my face and said, say something about Memorial Day. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm going to put it on TikTok. And I really, maybe kind of vaguely heard about it. But uh, um, we shot a quick video and it immediately was popular. So we decided that it you know, could possibly be um, a way to reach more people, a way to find more customers, and we started putting out lots of content. Uh, I, I would sit down and would say little bits about my story, uh, um, things about you know, little inspirational quotes here and there, and then we started demonstrating um, how to make some of our candy and other foods, and we would... The, the the kitchen sections we call Aaron Hale's cooking without looking, <laughs> and uh, we do anything from kitchen hacks to some of our favorite plates. That's been a lot of fun. Well, it certainly is, and um, it's it's very enjoyable. <laughs> uh, maybe we should just name it uh, "Blind Guy Burns Himself." <laughs> <laughs> We don't want we don't want that, Aaron. <laughs> Aaron, we so much appreciate your time today, and um, you've shared so many of your insights, your accomplishments, overcoming adversities that few of us will ever know. Um, you also do speaking engagements. Um, now, it, when you're out there and you're speaking uh, across the country, and I'm sure maybe some questions are asked, you know, what advice do you have for those who are in a difficult spot and looking to overcome difficulties? Do you have any advice or is there a certain motto that just inspires you that you would like to share with others? First is always give back more than you take. 
adds value to this world, believe me, it comes back to your, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's the strangest thing, whether it's money, your time, your talent, give it freely. It will come back to you and you'll be rewarded with, uh, by the, the universe, the uh, powers that be. Um, also, uh, if you're having a hard day, um, start with gratitude. Mm. Think about all the things that you're, uh, that you're grateful for in this life. And believe me, there are so many things to be grateful for, from just waking up each day to a sunrise, to the loved ones you have around you, to having your health. I mean, there is two... Um, you can list up a hundred different things um, from big to little, but start with gratitude. And that's how I have easy days and hard days, but I'll never have a bad day. Thank you. I, I, I love that. I love what you're saying and I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Thank you for sharing that. Aaron, now it is time for us to have a little bit of fun with me asking you a few questions about some of your favorites. Are you ready? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) All right. So what is your favorite food to cook? My favorite thing to cook? Yes. I get this question actually all the time when we go live on TikTok because it just—it's so hard to choose. It's like, what's your favorite day of the year or your favorite color? It changes with your mood, where you're, where you are in the world, who you're with. I would say when I came down to what is my favorite thing, if something could be placed in front of me right now. Uh, I would have to say, you know, a perfectly well-made Reuben sandwich. Mm, that sounds delicious. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> All right. But then, uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, I could go on forever. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's hard to settle on one favorite anything. Okay. How about a favorite song? Song? Yes. Mm. Uh, one of my favorite pump-up songs it gets me motivated. Maybe "Ladies and Gentlemen" by Saliva. You mentioned in another conversation that one of your favorite songs was "Bingo." <laughs> <laughs> That's just what's stuck in my head nowadays because of the <laughs> twins. Like, you guys want to hear "Bingo"? Alexa, play "Bingo." <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's just stuck in my head on like repeat now. Right, right. No, I think it's awesome. Um, and then, how about your favorite comedian? Mm, I loved I, I loved uh, watching you know, stand up when I was a kid, and it was my whole life. I loved it. I think. Uh, um. George Carlin was great. 
Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a great stand-up comedian. Um, uh, so many. Uh, Dave Chappelle. He was really good. He doesn't care what anybody thinks about him. Okay. And, and, uh, go ahead. No, I was... Go ahead. You finish. You have another another one? <laughs> No, 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 it's just like, you say you favored like this one, and I'm just listing off lists. Yeah, that's totally fine. We More is better. It's totally fine. <laughs> um, okay, the final uh, question, Aaron, what is your favorite relaxation method? Running. Yeah, it. Yeah, pure example. It's a uh, it's a way to disconnect because I can't use my my phone or my computer while I'm I'm running. Um, at the best, I can you know Bluetooth in um, a uh, a a podcast or uh, audio book or something, and. Otherwise, I'm running with somebody, uh, you know, a kindred spirit, and we're just out enjoying the day. And it's a great way to just blow off steam, to get healthy, and just pause and enjoy life. Yeah. It's good for your body and soul, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Aaron, thank you very much for your time today on this interview with us um we know well, that thank our, you very much Rachel. yeah thank you and um we know this will be um you know well received to our listening audience and hoping you know and wishing you Michaela and the kids the very best for 2021 and beyond and thank you so much and we look forward to staying in touch thank you Aaron well, thank you very much. It was an honor to be invited, and I, I really appreciate uh, you giving me the chance to share my story with your audience. Yeah, we loved it. Thank you, Aaron. All right. Have a great week, Aaron. Thank you so much. No, I'm sorry for stepping all over the, the very end there. Oh, you're, <laughs> you're fine. fine. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> you are totally fine. You have a great day, and give Michaela our best, okay? Yeah. Will do. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast. This series is provided to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. To learn more, please visit us on Facebook or at eodwarriorfoundation.org. And don't forget to tell a friend.